Samuel chapter 13. We are only two lessons away from finishing this series. The series that we've been doing is it's more than a name. It's more than a name. And we've been looking at unnamed Bible characters. And it's been quite the blessing to go through this. Next week, obviously, Brother Gurmy will be preaching. And then the following week, God willing, we'll do lesson 13. So this is lesson 12. And then, of course, next is 13 by my math. And, uh, and then um, a new series. A new series will be beginning. And so, but anyway, let's, we'll focus in on these last two lessons, but this one tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 13. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 to 5. Verses 1 to 5. 1 Samuel 13, verse 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him three thousand men of Israel, whereof two thousand were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. That's a lot of people. That's quite the army. If you've ever been to the beach, you know how much sand is there. That's how big the army looked for the Philistines. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Bethaven. You know, if you've read the, if you've read the Old Testament, you're going to re probably remember that a lot of the Old Testament, or at least there are many portions, uh, portions of Scripture in the Old Testament talking about battles. This fight to this battle, to this battle, and then this battle, and that battle. And honestly, as we consider that, um, that's the Christian life. I mean, yes, our, our enemy doesn't look the same as it did in Saul and Jonathan's day, but we still have an enemy, and uh, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, as, Hebrew, as uh, Ephesians 6.12 says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so the enemy's goal is always destruction, the enemy's goal is always uh, to maim us in a way that we can't fight in the battle. And yet our, our, our Savior, praise the Lord, uh, we, we, we sang the first hymn of the evening was victory in Jesus. And so even though there are battles yet coming, Jesus is always victorious. And we're following him. 
And so this battle, we even said this in the five o'clock hour, the battles of life in the spiritual world begin the very moment we get saved. And, And yet, steps of obedience... We take a step of obedience, and uh, I can tell you what's going to happen. John 10.10, John 10.10, if you have your Bible, let's turn over there. (laughs) Even though we're obeying God and we're we're doing what's right, Satan is not detoured by that. In fact, I would submit to you that the more that we obey, the greater the force is going to be to stop us and to defeat us. Praise the Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. John 10.10, I love this verse. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan is doing, wanting to do tonight. Kill, excuse me, steal, kill, and destroy. Everything. Everything. It doesn't matter what it is or who it is. That's his objective. And uh, But the good news is, Jesus said, but I am come that they might have life. The complete opposite. Remember, we said this over and over again. Everything that Jesus is attempting, and not attempting, that he is doing, Satan is trying to do the opposite. So Jesus is all about life. Satan is all about death. Christ is all about victory. Uh, Satan is all about destroying and defeating. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Thank God for that tonight. We have life. We have the opportunity to defeat the enemy who wants to destroy us. All right, let's, let's look at this passage of Scripture tonight and uh, see what God has for us. Number one in our outline, we see the obstacle. The obstacle. And we, we, we learned tonight that uh, this obstacle in this case is a large army. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Israel's army was very insignificant compared to the army of the Philistines. Basically, if you put it on paper, they have no chance. Too many soldiers on the Philistines, not enough soldiers on the Israelite side. We learned that in 1 Samuel 13. We just read that. Letter A, a powerful adversary. A powerful adversary. Who was the king? Who was the king of Israel at this time? King Saul. Right. King Saul. So he was the leader of the Israelites. He was the king. And uh, let's see what the Bible says about Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. I remember John Yates in uh, FBI telling us about Saul, and he had a, a way that you could remember Saul because it rhymed with Saul. Now, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zoror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Verse 2, 1 Samuel 9, 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul. This is King Saul, uh, who we're reading about in 13. A choice young man and, and a goodly. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, 
He was higher than any of the people. So John Yates used to always say, King Saul was tall. You know, we can always remember that he was tall. He was a tall man. So looking at King Saul on the outside, he had all the qualities of a leader. He had all the qualities of a military leader. He had everything going for him on the outside. But if you know anything about Saul and how he led the people, unfortunately, that's not what makes a man or a lady. It's just what we look like on the outside. And we're going to learn that even more tonight. He was trained to fight in battles. And he had an army assembled of 3,000. Now, that, that sounds like a really big army. Um, when you think of it, 3,000 people, that's a lot of people. I mean, we've got about 2,000 here tonight, so another 1,000. I mean, you know, 3,000, that's a lot of people. Think of it. That sounds like a huge army. No doubt Saul had trained them. No doubt Saul had worked with them and uh, prepared them. But when they looked over to the other side, as we read a moment ago, look, at again, look again, please, at verse number 5. So here's these 3,000 men, 1 Samuel 13, 5. And here's who they're going to go against. 30,000 chariots. Now, obviously, chariots don't drive themselves. Okay, they didn't have Tesla chariots at that time, okay? Sorry, that just was a terrible joke. 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand, which is like, you know, so here's 3,000. That looks like a formidable foe. But on the other side, it's innumerable people. 30,000 of the top chariots that money could buy. 6,000 uh, horsemen and people everywhere. So in looking at it, there was no way this army was going to win. If you looked at it in that way, no way, no chance. 3,000 against an innumerable army. Let's go to Matthew 7. We actually talked about this in the five o'clock hour, so it's good that we know where it's at. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes maybe we would, we would feel like the people in the Israel's army, 3,000, and we're looking over and we think, man, you know, we've got a good group here, but if we looked over at the other side, we think, there's a whole lot more people on the other side. And we might get a little fearful. And we might even get a little discouraged and think, man, there's too many people on that, and we only have a small number. But that's not really to be surprised. Because Jesus even said it himself in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7 and verse 13. Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction. And notice he says, many. Many. We might think of, that's the, that's the 30,000 chariots. That's the 6,000 horsemen. That's the innumerable army. Many there be that find it. Many there be which go in thereat, excuse me. Verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto what? Life. That's, that's what I want. You know, destruction doesn't sound very good, does it? Because it's not. But that is the goal of Satan. Destruction. Notice it says, the narrow way which leadeth to life, leadeth to victory, the numbers aren't as good, 
But the end result is, it's not about the numbers now. It's about who are we following. And when you're following the Lord, you're following the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're following almighty God, all-powerful, omnipotent God. If, he, if we're keeping track and it's wins and losses, he has no losses and he never will have one. So you're in good company even though it looks like it's a small army. Notice what it says, uh, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So letter A, we have a powerful adversary. Letter B, we have a pathetic army. Now we're going to go back to our text and we're going to find that there were three groups of people within these 3,000. Okay? 1 Samuel 13. It was too much. It was too much for them to stare at all of this and it, and it really, it overwhelmed them. But I mean, I'm not picking on them because we could find ourselves in the same place. Look at verse 6, please. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were what? Anybody ever, anybody ever been distressed? Yeah. This is church. We've got to be honest. How many of you have ever been distressed? Okay. You don't understand the word or you're just going to lie in church. No, you're not lying. Of course, we've all been distressed. Well, that's what they are. And notice what it says. Then the people did what? They hid themselves in caves. We're out of here. I mean, 3,000 to innumerable. We're out of here. So the first group of people that were in this army are the fearful. Those who were fearful. They hid themselves in caves, thickets, rocks. I don't know how they hid in a rock, but I guess maybe they tucked in behind a rock or something like that. And in high places and in, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Notice, and as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal. And notice this, all the people followed him, what? Trembling. I mean, their knees were knocking. Their teeth were chattering. They were scared. Because they were focusing on the army of the Philistines, which was innumerable, and yet they had Almighty God who was on their side. So these were the fearful. We can relate to that. We can relate to that. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That makes for good reading and for good preaching, but sometimes it's not that easy to live it. So that's what happened here first. The fearful. The devil is the master of preying on your fears and my fears, but fear is never of God. In, in fact, we're going to say that verse. I don't know if it's in your notes or not. Maybe it is. If not, let's turn to 2 Timothy. And I'd like us to read that verse together tonight as a group. I just quoted it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you've never marked this verse or let this verse mark you, choose it tonight. Because you'll need it. I know you'll need it because I need it. 
Let's say it together. Ready? 2 Timothy 1.7. Ready? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's do it one more time. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Meditate on that verse this week. Is that actually in your notes? Is that verse in the notes? Is it written out in the notes? I would, I would write it out in the back of your notes there if you have that where there's room if it's not written out. And, and, and write it out on a piece of paper or something and keep it with you wherever you go this week. You're going to need it. I'm not trying to scare you, but you're going to need it because this verse gives us power. It calms our fears. It takes our fears from a 10 and brings them down to a zero because we find out this isn't right. I don't need to fear. God has given me the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So group number one within the army were the fearful. Group number two, 1 Samuel 14. 1 Samuel 14. There was a second group within the army. And in verse number two it says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah. 1 Samuel 14, 2. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Now, this is in the middle of battle. I'm all for taking a rest, but I don't know that this was the time to take a rest. So he's under a pomegranate tree. Maybe he liked pomegranates. I don't know. But notice this. And the people that were with him were 600 men. So here's 600 men. And we're calling these men the flabby the fearful and the flabby. In the middle of this battle, the commander of the army, the king himself, is sitting under a tree with 600 soldiers. Have no idea what he's planning to do with this battle there. This is not why God has saved you or me, is just to sit. God has saved us to stand for him, to strive for him, to serve him. Not to just sit under a tree. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take a rest. But it means that when the battle is there, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Ecclesiastes 9.10. These were the flabby. But we have another group. Look at verse 21. The fearful, the flabby, and the third group, verse 21. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp, from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. So some of the army decided to join the enemy. I guess it's one of those, if you can't beat them, join them. These are the fickle. The fickle. Hey, we're outnumbered, we're going over there. But now, God, what's happening here is God is starting to win the battle. And so in verse 21, we're actually seeing them go back. So we're not reading of them leaving, but we're reading of them going back to God's side. Wow. But again, I'm not going to pick on them too much because maybe we find ourselves in that way at times. And so the fickle, the flabby, and the fearful. How about that? 
So that's the obstacle. Secondly, the opportunity. The opportunity. So there's a great obstacle. The army is large. It's big. It's, it's uh, formidable. It's impenetrable. It's, it's, it's just insurmountable. There's no way they're going to have any, any way of defeating this army. But I, I, I believe this to be true. Every obstacle is an opportunity. Every obstacle is an opportunity. We don't have to come to an obstacle and just sit down under the tree. We can get to that obstacle and we can start praying. Okay, God, how are you going to remove this obstacle? How are you going to help me get, to, to get through this? How are you going to help us defeat this innumerable army? Letter A, an impressive leadership. An impressive leadership. Now, sadly, the leadership that they had, <clears throat> or the leadership was not from the king. The leadership that God used tremendously right here is the son of the king. His name is Jonathan. Look at 1 Samuel 14, 4, please. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over, Jonathan sought to go over, unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Senna. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, now that's actually our unnamed man that we're going to look at right at the end. It's kind of a unique way it's laid out, but here's a man that's bearing his armor. We don't know who he is. How many people are in this conversation right now? Two. Jonathan and his armor bearer. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Here's a powerful statement. For the Lord, for, excuse me, for there is no restraint to the Lord. To save by many. Is too many compared to that army? No. But Jonathan says, it is not of the, the Lord can save using a big army or the Lord can save using two people. The Lord can save with many people or the Lord can use a shepherd boy by the name of David to whoop that nine-foot ugly giant, right? One rock right there, done. That's the Lord. That's what David said to the giant. He said, the Lord's going to give you into my hand today. It wasn't about David. It was about the Lord. And that's what Jonathan said. It's not about Jonathan. It's not about the unnamed armor bearer. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, though, this is leadership. Jonathan, this is courage. He says, the Lord is not restrained to say by many or by few. Leadership is not about position. Many times leadership is about action. This is some impressive leadership. Letter B, an important lesson. An important lesson. And again, I think we just covered that actually. Jonathan knew that God is not limited by our lack of numbers, our weapons, or our abilities. We see that at the end of verse 6. We just read that. The Lord, for there's no restraint to the Lord. He's not restrained to save by many or by few. How about we take quickly a turn our Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
And let's look at verse 26. There's a reason why it might appear that God is in the using the underdog, so to speak. There's a reason. I believe it's spelled out for us in this text. 1 Corinthians 1.26 for, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Who has God chosen? God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are, and, the, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. This is good news. I feel like I'm in that category in my life sometimes. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Saying, bringing those things that are insignificant to those things that are significant. That no flesh, here's the key. This is why. That no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, if it was all about our abilities and our ways and everything that we could do, you know how we are. We might get to the end of the thing, the battle, and think, wow, wow, I really whooped the devil this time. I don't think we would say that. But we can become dependent on self if we're not careful. And we recognize it's not us that wins the battle. It's only the Lord. God, doesn't, God isn't wanting, God isn't looking for us to have any glory. And I don't want any glory, by the way. He's, that's why it says here that no flesh should glory in his presence. If we could overcome every enemy in our lives by ourselves and our own strength, we might take some credit for it. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 and 18, that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So we have the obstacle, we have the opportunity, and now we finally get to our unnamed man, and that's the obedience. The obedience. So Jonathan takes the lead, if you will. Jonathan steps up in verse number, in chapter number 14, and he says, let's go to his armor bearer. He says, God, God might save us. God might help us. Let's go. Verse, letter A, a humble following. Look at 1 Samuel 14, verse 7. Listen, look what this, look what this um, unnamed armor bearer says to Jonathan. There's two people, not 3,000, two. And Jonathan says to him, let's go, let's go over there. Verse 6, and then in verse 7, and his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart. If you think this is what you ought to do, you need to do it. But he didn't stop with that. Notice he said, I lost my place. 
Turn thee, behold, behold, I am with thee according to thine heart. What, what a statement. Not just that Jonathan said to the armor bearer, let's go, we're going, we're going to go forward, and I believe God's going to help us out. The armor bearer didn't just say, okay, you know what, that's great that you want to do that. You know what, I'll, I'll meet you later, okay? We'll get caught up later. I'll, just let me know how things are. No, his armor bearer says, okay, I'm glad you want to do that, and not only that, but I'm with you. Let's go. He had no idea what was coming. A humble following. This was the leader that God had placed in his life. And yes, this might have looked a little crazy on paper. But this was the leader that God had placed in his life. Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, no human leader is perfect in any way. No human leader should be exalted above God in any way. We're not saying that. But I do believe that it is wise for us to follow with humility the God-ordained leadership that God puts in our life. And that's what this unnamed armor bearer did. He said, I'm following, I'm with you. Secondly, letter B, we see an honorable faith. An honorable faith. Can you imagine what this armor bearer may have thought? Maybe even what he might have asked. Possibly he would have asked something like this. It's not in our Bible, and it's okay to think about it this way. Possibly he might have asked, okay, I'm with you. Now what are we going to do? Would that not be a reasonable question? <laughs> I think so. I'm with you, Jonathan. What's, what's the next step? 1 Samuel 14, 8. Jonathan gives the strategy. Behold, we will pass over unto these men and we will discover ourselves unto them. What? We're going to walk into that army and just let them see us? That's what he just said. Now, this is about the time where you or I are probably going to say... <laughs> You know what about that thing about me going with you? Well, I changed my mind. I don't like this strategy at all. This has got to be the most ludicrous plan ever. But that's what he said. We will, we will just reveal ourselves. We're going to just say, hey, hey, here we are. Two. Two people. Yeah, that's a head scratcher, isn't it? No weapons, no reinforcements. No tanks coming behind them. We're just going to walk over there and say, here we are. First hmm. Samuel 14, verse 9. This is just amazing. All right? So the, 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 the strategy continues. If they say thus unto us, so if they say this, this is what we're going to do. Tarry until we come to you. So if they say, wait right there, Till we come over there. If the Philistines say that to him, then we will stand still in our place. And we will not, and will not go up unto them. We'll just stand here. 
But, verse 10, if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this will be the sign that we're waiting for. This will be the sign unto us. Goodness. Talk about faith in action. No plan B. We're just going over there, and if they say one thing, we're doing this. If they say the second thing, we're doing it that way. Whatever happens, we're going to trust the Lord. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11.6 For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek. So we have a humble following, we have an honorable faith. Thirdly, we have a heavenly favor. All right, you have your Bible there, 1 Samuel 14, 11. And both of them, both of them, one, two, that's what both means, right? Remember, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. Soldiers as many as the sands of the sea. And Jonathan and his unnamed armor bearer say, Hey guys, here we are. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison, verse 12, answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. Oh, okay. Come up to us. And we will show you a thing. (laughs) Oh, I love the Bible. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Okay. Remember what we told, remember what I told you. It's in the Hebrew there. You can just read it between the lines. Come up to us. So come up after me. Follow me. For the Lord hath delivered them in to the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, an half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. So they just were mowing them down. And there was trembling in the host. The host, that's the massive army. And in the field, among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also what? Trembled. And the earth quaked. So now God's getting involved. Obviously, Jonathan's not able to make the earthquake, but God is. But what happened first? The faith. Faith activates God every time. Every time. And the earthquake, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchman of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked And behold, the uh, the multitude melted away 
just one right after the other. And they went on beating down one another. What an amazing victory. The Lord worked for them. Just as Jonathan had said in verse number 6, it might be that the Lord will work for us. By faith, they walked into that, into that field and his armor bearer with him and 20 people down and then everybody else started getting nervous and their, their legs were, their knees were knocking and the, art, the earth quaked and God wrought a great victory. Guess what happened though because of this? This is somewhat funny, but it's okay to, but look at verse 20. Verse 20. Guess what happened? Because two men stepped out by faith. Look what happens. Look who came back. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to the battle. We've had so many pomegranates, we're getting a stomachache. We want to get in on this. Now that part's not in there, but I think that's what happened. So here comes the flabby ones back. Our break time is over. You know, now that everybody turned tail and ran. But you know what? The point is, it doesn't have to be a whole army that steps out. Sometimes a couple people, five people, two people, three people. Look at all the prayer revivals that have taken, taken place. It was a small group. It was a few people here and there. It wasn't a massive group that got together. Yes, it became that. Verse number 21, hey, it doesn't stop. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, they had joined up with the enemy, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about. Even they also turned to be with the Israelites. So here comes the fickle. They're back. Oh, hey, guys. We wonder where you went. Look at verse 22. Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves. Here comes the fearful. Isn't that something? Because two guys, because really one guy actually said, we're going that way. We're going to go up, and here's the plan. And his armor bearer said, okay, I'm going with you. And now the, the flabby, the fickle, and the fearful came back. Who's this armor bearer? We have no idea. We don't know what his name is. But as a result of his faith, thousands joined the battle for the Lord. In conclusion, too often in life, I focus, I'm just going to make it personal, I focus on the obstacles rather than the opportunities. When I see my problems as big, my God will appear small. But when I view God as big, then my problems will appear small. God has never met his match, and he's looking for ways to show himself strong to his people. Second Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. What an amazing Bible story. So many things to pull out of that. I hope God spoke to your heart about at least something. I'm sure he did. Let's pray. Heavenly